My name is Tristan Nieslein, and this is The Three E's, a podcast about Extreme E. On this show, I'm joined by Izzy Raquel, Extreme E's impact correspondent. And this week, we talk about Izzy's unique role aboard the St. Helena, what life is like on board the ship, and what's coming up in this already unpredictable first season for Extreme E. So, please enjoy. This is The Three E's. Hi, Izzy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really excited to hear about what you're doing with Extreme E and what life is like uh, aboard the St. Helena. Um, so mm-hmm. as we catch up, it's um, currently in between the Ocean Expri in Senegal and the Arctic Expri in Greenland. So where in the world are you, Izzy? Hi, hello. Um, we are in very sunny Lisbon. Uh, we stopped here about a few days ago. Actually, no, it's been seven days now. Um, and yeah, it's really, really beautiful here. I've had a chance to, to get off and stretch my legs. Um, so we're in Lisbon here for the next two weeks before we set off for Greenland. Fan- fantastic. And um, have you managed to find some pastis de nata? That was one of my favorite discoveries in, in Lisbon when I was there. What is that? Is that the custard tart? It's the custard tart, exactly. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, I've had one. I've had one. They're pretty good. But it could, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so you're in you're in Lisbon for uh, a couple of more more weeks. So you'll be leaving for Greenland uh, soon. How how long will it take when you when you set sail to get to Greenland? Uh, it will take about two weeks, so fourteen days, um, and that I'm not sure, I think it can be done faster, but obviously, you know, we're all about um, sustainability and, and we're not in a rush to get there. So we'll be going at a, um, not at top speed, but a manageable speed that we can run on one engine. Oh, fantastic. And um, how did you end up uh, on the St. Helena? So uh, maybe a bit of background to you and and how you came to be doing the impact correspondent role, which means you're spending a, a effectively a, a year aboard the ship. Yes, correct. So I have been in entertainment um, for the last 10, 11 years. I was a DJ and also organizing my own events. Um, name One of them was a fashion event in London and New York that tried to push young designers with um, some kind of sustainability element to them. And then I was DJing for Formula E as well um, since the beginning in 2014, which is how I met and, be- and became close to Alejandro. And um, also there, I was showcasing sustainable designers from each city that we went to for the race. So wearing clothes from these designers while I was playing at the Emotion Club and and for any events that we had. So as you can see, I already had this underlying passion for trying to inject eco practices into my work. Um, And then um, I was actually moving to New York um, just before COVID hit Mm. and I got stuck in Australia I went to Australia to do my uh, visa interview and borders shut they said no Australian is allowed to leave and so I had a lot of time to to think about my life and and effectively what I wanted to do as everyone did I think and um um I knew about extremely about two years uh, so when Alejandro got the idea and he's like you know I want you to come with me think of a role and at that time, you know, I still had 
New York on my card. So I, I politely kind of declined. And then I was just sat in Australia thinking, you know what, I need to take this opportunity. Um, so I started thinking about what I could possibly do. And um, I came up with the role of extreme impact correspondent. And, um, and I went, finally got myself back to Europe and um, flew to Monaco when um, Alejandra was launching the E1 series and just did a quick presentation um, literally before the event. And right at the end, I just had this idea. I was like, and I want to live on the ship and do it from the ship. And he's like, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, it was all a bit of a whirlwind, and then um, and here I am. <laughs> what Alejandra has kind of done in terms of um, transforming motorsport, really, and, and looking at Formula E and, and Extreme E, and uh, what's coming up with the E1 Powerboat series is is really um, the best way to describe it is completely completely disruptive. So I can see why that was. Uh, that was quite attractive um, for you. So did, do you have much of an interest in motorsport generally, or is it more much the, the underlying kind of purpose and messaging behind it? Coincidentally, like I played for Formula One a few times. And I, after I think the third time I did, I was like, actually, I want no part in this because mm -hmm. I don't like anything about what the messaging is. And and then when Formula E came along, um, it, it sparked my interest because I was like, actually, maybe I could do something um, obviously not related to motorsport, but, you know, there will be opportunities to push um, eco practices, whether that be, you know, with the sustainable designers that I was trying to push. And then in the Emotion Club, you know, I was, um, Gurley was super open to um, bouncing around ideas. And then finally we we came up with, I mean, it's not, groundbreaking everybody's doing it but to actually implement this system takes a lot of work where we banned bottles and we were giving out hugo boss made um the water bottles and we just put water fountains all around so you know ideas like that uh, which lets you really explore your creativity and, and think of alternatives and solutions and so i coming off the back of that that was one of my goals for impact correspondent is to also do that for extreme e to come up with alternatives and solutions to certain ways that you do things in events and obviously because sustainability is such a big factor for extreme e i thought it would be and it is more um accepted rather than just an idea in the suggestion box it is thoroughly looked at and okay how mm. can we eliminate you know um plastic bottles from having to give them to the guests or to the teams and and um you know how can we eliminate the plastic um accreditation badges um so yeah things things like that and it really does force you to have to look into um cost effective ways because obviously cost is a huge driver mm. in implementing these solutions and unfortunately being green is still expensive so building relationships with some of these companies um, where you can, you know, provide some kind of exposure for them um, in return for perhaps, you know, wholesale cost or just to find different ways to, to replace these items. So that was one of my goals with the impact correspondent and also um, on the ship, because from what I understood, you know, shipping, the shipping industry has a really dirty reputation and I really wanted to, inject myself here and, and, and try and find ways 
um, to do things differently. And thankfully, we have a, a crew that is on board with these ways. The captain at the moment that we have, Captain Sean, he's great with that. And any suggestion I have, he's, you know, his door is always open and it's, we sit down and we talk about ways um, that we, we can do things better. And the chef that we have, our head chef is also um, very sustainably driven, especially in terms of food waste, which actually I, I had no idea, but it, it's a big issue when you're at sea. Um, waste is a huge issue. So trying yeah. to down that, um, which means changing people's habits. So that's a huge task in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that brings us nicely onto kind of how the St. Helena has has been designed to be um, as sustainable as as possible. And and we know that generally the movement of people and kit for for motorsport is right up there. It's the the highest uh, contributor of, of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so how does the ship compare to other forms of of kind of sea freight what 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 makes this and helena different to your bog standard ship, shipment container yeah. well i mean firstly you know the, the ship is a 30 year old ship and so we took the ship gave it a new life because i'm not sure if you're aware she was actually on her way to the scrapyard um and so you know that in itself taking something and, and renewing it for a different purpose um essentially she's the lifeline of extreme e and i'm not sure if you know her history but she was the lifeline of saint helena so that's nice nice little segue into her history and, and so her purpose is being well she's being repurposed again and um in terms of um the, the, the shipping industry we don't have pressing time constraints as cargo ships do which is usually what leads to incompliances that then lead to accidents and you know an accident at sea such as an oil spill or a fire as we recently saw um, with the Sri Lankan cargo ship that spewed plastic pellets out into the ocean these accidents turn out of control much much faster at sea and cause widespread environmental damage so the fact that we're not we don't have this pressing time constraint means we can operate mindfully sustainably as I said before we're able to operate on one engine uh, which does mean you know that you are um, traveling at a slower speed but it means that you're lowering your fuel consumption and um, so we have anything between eight and 12 weeks between the races and this saves again as i said uh, fuel which is environmentally friendlier and um, in terms of the interiors we had about four thousand new low emission led lights uh, to replace the old power intensive lighting a large portion of the furniture and interiors were also upcycled or used from recycled materials. So she's had a big um, renovation, sustainable renovation on her. I, I really like, I mean, I don't think the the spacing between events is is necessarily solely to do with the ship, but maybe maybe I'm wrong, but to to not be in a rush to not, you know, you see other global motorsport events, they, they want to get as many events in as they possibly can uh, throughout a year, whereas Extreme E is different in that respect. It wants to, um, it's kind of go to the right places and the, one thing that that occurs to me is is the storytelling around those places. When you know we start off in in Saudi Arabia, uh, and then Senegal, and then next Greenland. Well, you have this 
this kind of theme running through, you know, where you, um, where you are, I think you're looking at turtle conservation in, in Saudi Arabia that's going to be impacted by sea level rise. The Ocean Expre was all about ocean health. And then when you go to the Arctic Expre, it's about the melting of uh, the Greenland glacier that actually is going to contribute um, something like 10 centimeters to to sea level rise and that thread kind of goes through and it's not lost and that that impact of drawing attention to the to the tipping points the climate climate change tipping points that that exist is um, that's what I mean by going to going to the right places yeah and also you know it's even though we have these five expres that are separate I think it's very important and and what we do show is that they are all connected at the end of the day. Sea level rise is connected to desertification, which is connected to rainforest destruction. It's not, they're not separate issues. They're all connected. And I think that's what our storytelling um, really does tell to the world. And also, you know, the, the locations are picked, uh, they're, they're remote locations. And I think what's important is that people see climate change is affecting these remote areas that you, who who gets to go to Greenland, you know, and who gets to go to Saudi Arabia? Not many people, and it's very important to show that it's happening in all corners of the world. It's not just happening in your backyard or, or what your local um, conservationist group is showing. It's happening everywhere, and I think that's the unique point about Extreme is that we are going to these places that are already damaged and showing the effects. It's it's really clear that that storytelling message and um, as as we kind of um, have mentioned on on previous episodes, like drawing that link um, to I guess what you would air quote call um, the the Western impact on these places because actually a lot of a lot of the places you know are, are not massive. Let's just take carbon dioxide for example, are not massive polluters in terms of carbon dioxide. You know, net total as as countries perhaps um but actually the the climate impact does come from um come from developed countries and when you're visiting places like senegal which are um, more in the developing category you know seeing the damage that's done you can only draw draw conclusions that it it comes from um comes from westernized areas yeah i think it was kofi annan who said that africa has contributed the least to the climate emergency and is going to be suffering the most mm. from the effects and I think that's that's a pretty strict way of putting it and when we were in Senegal that's exactly what I saw you know the the plastic pollution that is happening happening there it's um it's not just from the local consumption but a large portion of that is from the current the currents that are bringing it from America and Asia and washing up on these beaches and they don't have a waste program. So how are they meant to deal with this? And I, it's, yeah, it was, it was a very eye-opening experience. And I, and I hope we got to show that in all its, um, I don't want to say glory because it's, there's nothing glorious about it, but it, 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 and it's all its power, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. I, for me, it, it came across, and as you know, I, li I live in West Africa, and I've been to Dakar myself, and what I see in along the coast in in um, in the Ivory Coast, um, it's it's kind of much the same, and it's it's really interesting when you walk along and you'll see kind of Walmart branded um, trash that's that's floating mm. like. I don't think they have Walmart here. Uh, it's it's amazing how far this 
this trash, this this waste travels. Um, it yeah. was yeah, it was, it was surprising to see, to say the, to say the least. Yeah, and that, and that sorry to interrupt you, but that there's this social media meme that comes up all the time, and it says, "It's only one straw," said one billion people, one billion people, and that's exactly what you see in West Africa. It's everything, you know, these convenient items that. Probably the person said, oh, well, you know, who cares? It's just one piece of item. And then it's all accumulated there on the beaches. And, and that's, again, you know, how many people go to Senegal? How many people go to West Africa? And, and they don't see this themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's where those one billion straws, um, not all of them, but do, do show themselves. Absolutely. So... On board the St Helena, you're there for uh, you're there for the best part of a of a year. Um, would you mind taking us around the ship a little bit, or some of the things that you think are the are the most interesting parts of the ship, and where it would again where it's a, a little bit different, and also where where do you spend most of most of your time? Uh, well, from my social media, it's pretty clear that I spend most of my time in the galley, <laughs> um, and that's that's because the head chef Patrick and I we we get along really well. We're both on the same kind of sustainable wavelength, and we have an Evo Grow fridge there that grows our own herbs and salads using hydroponics, which is a type of horticulture involving uh, growing plants without soil and by using mineral nutrient solutions, and um, also we. Um, Patrick is very good with food waste. We often have a banana cake bake-off where when we have a box of bananas that have reached their overripe stage, we just bake a whole lot of banana bread and freeze it and it goes down really well with the crew. Uh, just for the record, I am still queen in that respect. My banana cake, my <laughs> recipe is great. Um, and But if we have a surplus of rice, he'll go and make arancini balls the next day and then fish cakes from leftover fish, mindful things like this. And, you know, he's he does this out of his own accord. It's not something that he's told by management, mm. which I think is a great addition to the team. Um, we have, uh, so most of the most of the ship has been uh, refitted. Um, and then we have the hold number one and number two, where uh, we have the cars and the cargo, uh, the bridge, um, which is great uh, stargazing. At night, the 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 stars I've seen, especially on the journey down from Valencia to um, to Senegal, was uh, it's, I can't explain it in words. It's like someone's taken a, a, a paintbrush with white paint and just kind of flicked it on a black canvas. There's just so many stars, and um, we have the debt, the the two lounges, the Tintin Lounge. Um, which is where we hold our um, climate meetings and also um, our climate, our scientific uh, committee have talks there. So during the uh, Desert Expri and um, the Ocean Expri in Senegal, we had um, scientific talks. Polymateria also uh, gave a talk and explained the scientific process behind um, the, the life cycle. Um, so we kind of have that both element of, you know, um, the sport, the play as well when we have the events and then the education side of things. So the ship really is a, a floating paddock for, for all of those three elements. Fantastic. So it's it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for for education as well aboard the ship. And and as you, as you mentioned, the the, uh, the science committee being able to um, share findings as as well. So um, 
they're obviously not traveling with you now um, due to due to COVID, the the, the science committee. Um, but what are the what are the expectations for for the climate related research now? What how how is that going to going to happen? And be? Mm. That's unfortunately that's not my area. That that's um, uh, Louisa, who is the uh, legacy program director. But we are looking into um, which projects can go ahead. Obviously, the COVID regulations are changing all the time. I mean, before we were coming to Lisbon, for example, uh, you know, Portugal was was open and literally a day before we came in, we sailed into a lockdown. So as you can see, everything changes very quickly. Um, but hopefully, yeah, watch this space. We will be having climate research on board, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's great. And I, I guess in the in the meantime, we've seen um We've seen people like uh, Dr. Carlos Duarte and uh, Dr. Lucy Woodall in in Senegal, um, kind of there, and the the research continues even if it can't happen uh, aboard the St. Helena. I see. Yeah, I started this um this series with Professor Carlos Duarte. I met him in in Saudi, and we got along really really well. He's such a wealth of information. I could yeah. really just sit and and talk to him all the time and um so across our sea voyages once a week i catch up with him and he he tells me something interesting about the the sea that santa helena finds herself in so when we were crossing we caught up twice and he told me um very interesting facts about you know how the suit actually the opening of the suez canal and climate change have changed the dynamics of the mediterranean sea and the red sea so a lot of the species are now invading the mediterranean sea because of the the warming of the ocean there um, it's becoming very much similar to the climate in the red sea so that invasion of species is then killing off uh species that are native to the mediterranean and i had no idea about that um, before talking to him so that that's one of our segments and then the other one when we were getting closer to Valencia he was um, talking about a species of seaweed uh, that is native to the Balearics and that is also under threat due to um, super yachts uh, who as you know the Balearics are very famous for their their, 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 their waters but also the super yachts unfortunately destroying the seaweed which is very important to regulating the temperature of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so I'm, I plan to continue those talks with him. Um, I, oh, they're, they're available on my Instagram and also I'm going to upload them on YouTube because I think these, I, I don't see it as a replacement for the scientific research, but I just wanted to have something there um, as an extra and, and, and while we uh, try and find which projects we can host on board. And I think that's that is one of the one of the fantastic outputs from the series. Not just obviously the the exciting racing; it is that messaging that that is that is consistently coming out, and it's from people who are really top of their game, like Professor Carlos Duarte. That kind of information it does come through on the on the TV feeds throughout social media. Um, it's it's a constant updating of. Um, of really interesting uh, facts and stats, and what's happening, what's of the moment, and and the legacy projects, of course, that that then go on to answer them. It's um, I must say that in terms of the communication from Extreme E, and as we would we would say, you know, one of sport's greatest powers is that ability to communicate to a great deal of people about these kinds of issues. Um, is that that message is coming across really really well. Mm -hmm.
So moving on, um, another part of sustainability and the sustainability balance is, is of course, equality. So aboard this, and Helena, how is the uh, equality and inclusion, those kind of values folded into kind of the crew and the, and the shipmates? Can you, can you see that being uh, evidenced or is there a plan for how that will, will be approached? Uh, well, we have a multinational crew and uh, that's a mixture of, of male and female. Um, as I said before, the captain is very open. He's a, a, very much an open door policy. We have meetings every week where, um, you know, anyone doesn't matter if you're on that for, in a manager position or or um, lower down the um, system, you're more than welcome to voice any concerns. So it really does have a, a family vibe. Um, unfortunately, because of just simply due to the way the ship was built. Um, there's quite high maritime regulations in terms of, um, you think, for example, females must have an ensuite bathroom and we don't have many cabins, uh, crew cabins where they, they do have an ensuite bathroom. So that kind of limits the, the, the amount of females that we can have on board. Um, but we do have, um, we, we have a good ratio of, of males and females. So there is um, an equal sense on board. That's fascinating. The the maritime regulations like that. Who would have who would have thought that that would, mm. that might be a barrier yeah. to, to things like that? My my socks are blown off by by that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess these kind of these kind of rules do do exist there, and they still have to be they still have to be kind of paid attention to. Yeah, and they're there for a reason. Yeah. They're there to simply protect the the well being of the crew yeah. and the safety of the crew and and. It's actually fascinating to learn. Since I'm on the ship, I've learned so much about... It's really a different world. It's so heavily regulated, um, but it's regulated for a reason. As I said yeah. before, you know, accidents turn fatal within a minute on board. So that's why you need to have all these regulations to keep uh, the checks on board and to make sure there are no incompliances that, don't lead, that lead to accidents. Um, so it's the same thing with, with males and females. Mm. Obviously, being at sea for an extended period of time, you know, things can happen and you just need to have that um, that barrier of safety that, that regulations provide. Yeah, absolutely. It makes makes complete, complete sense. Um, if we can talk a little bit about um, some of the some of the projects and and the impacts that have have come along with those as as extremely has already brought some really exciting new technologies you mentioned. Uh, before Polymateria and and its life cycle project, which um, I understand they've they've left the the biodegrading plastic cups there as kind of a living um, experiment or or showcase of the of the technology there in there in Senegal. How are you seeing the engagement both to I guess Extreme E as a as a series right now, but also uh, those those partners that Extreme E are, are, are bringing forward mm. from my um from my own experience you know everyone is very excited and and i guess the first impact we see is that everybody just wants to get on the ship <laughs> to, to 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 live the experience and to be a part of that and um so that's that's one way of measuring i guess the effectiveness is is the great response that we've had from our sponsors um but in terms of the people themselves in in senegal we worked with the local community of Black Rose to impact uh, the community there positively. So EcoZone was our partner there. And we went to go visit one of the schools and 
I, I, I was talking with Stefan and he said, you know, there's so many things that Extremi has done for the local community, namely the um, we installed solar lighting in the community, which before was I, I couldn't believe it. They had no lighting there. It was just pitch black whenever the sun went down. So that was able to extend the hours of the market and also to make the community feel safer. And um, I spoke with the um, one of the, the leaders of the community as well, and, and they were just so grateful. And, and I don't want to come off as kind of like this, uh, this you know, Western missionary coming in to, you know, to help fix um, the community. Um, but it was the, the gratefulness was really, really communicated there. They, they didn't want us to, to leave. We had this uh, one day where we went to go see the youth center as well. And they put on a whole performance for us. And, and I, I didn't want to take photos. I was very mindful of taking photos with children there, but they were the ones who were asking to take photos and, and it was great. And we also, um, we changed the floor in the school. So before they just had a, a dirt floor and we installed um, concrete flooring there. So we really had a positive impact on the local community uh, there. Um, also from an education perspective, um, teaching them not just about environmental awareness, but also how to have better business practices. So to beautify their stores, uh, to attract more customers and also to beautify their, uh, the ships that they take people out onto the, the lake. And um, also, I think you know about the mangroves. Um, we're planting mangroves in Senegal, so already 1 million have been planted. So all our legacy projects are really long-term commitments. They're not just there for that one year or for, for the time, you know, that the media happens to be there. It's really a long-term commitment. And I actually really would like to start um, on my Instagram to kind of have to have catch-ups with these legacy programs just to show how everything is going and, and, and what the progress is there. I guess to also pe people do want to know about this and, and uh, to keep the audience engaged. 100% and that it kind of leads on to to the next thing to to ask about and obviously there's been news coming out uh, this week um, how Extremi is going to uh, maintain all of the legacy projects in the in the two cancelled races in in Brazil and Argentina but what you just mentioned there as well is I guess for season two there's no uh, maybe there are plans to not go back to the same places and go and highlight other places but will how do, do you have a, a view on, apart from what you're going to do yourself, but how some of these projects will be caught up on and um, and how the general public or the or the race fans or the extreme E fans who are watching the um, watching the races and, and seeing these legacy projects, um, how they're going to be able to see the results of them in in future? So every legacy project, um, we have a legacy partner. So in, in Senegal, it was Ecozone, but also Oceanium. And um, so we work in conjunction with these uh, partners. So they also are monitoring on behalf of us um, these projects. Uh, they are also um, implementing a lot of the strategies um, on behalf of us. So um, catching up, you know, going onto their social pages, onto their web pages, they're also updating uh, their information. That's that's perfect. That's the best way to to track it, isn't it? And um, presumably they'll make those links with with the kind of extremely legacy projects. But you can see also uh, everything else that that they're trying to do. Yes, <laughs> OCN in, interestingly is actually quite um, a pioneer, not just in Senegal but in West Africa. The owner 
or the, well, I guess the founder, not the owner, was um, um, a huge environmental activist. And he was actually the Minister of Environment for Senegal for quite some time. So these, the, the organizations we work with already have quite a wealth of information and, and it's just easier to work with someone like OCNM because they know exactly the issue, they know exactly how to remedy rather than going in ourselves and trying to research, okay, what can we do? Working with a partner that has already had a presence like that is just faster and more effective to really target the issues and, and provide a solution that is beneficial to the local community there. Absolutely, and it, and in fairness, it's 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 probably right to say that actually the knowledge exists of what what needs to happen. Sometimes it's just about getting the opportunity to get a project off the ground and started and and in motion. I I would I would say. Correct. Yeah. So we mentioned a little bit um, the last two two races in Brazil and Argentina are. Uh, I'm not going to go go ahead due to um, and rightly so due to the the COVID risk. Um, have you any news on uh, potential uh, replacement locations? Um, at the at the moment, <laughs> the team is looking into into some locations. Um, so I hope we we can make an announcement soon. Nothing is really confirmed yet. Um, I think you know there's there's a, apart from the obvious. I mean, Amazon is quite an obvious location, but there's so many places in even in Europe that also need attention and that perhaps they're not tourist hotspots but they are um, they do see uh, climate issues and the repercussions of climate change I'm my parents are from Poland and um, you know Poland has its own host of environmental issues and because it's not really seen as I guess an economic power in Poland although it was the only country in Europe I think that had the, the highest GDP um, these issues perhaps don't see light of day so um i'm i'm confident that they will they will find um appropriate locations that would be just as exciting as those two yeah abs- absolutely and and for me really great to hear that those legacy projects are, are kind of set up to be able to continue and 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 carry on so i guess that will be something that you'll be able to uh able to report on in in due course as well so just a, a brief look ahead to Greenland then. So you'll be leaving in a in a couple of couple of weeks. What are the important impacts you're looking at in, in Greenland, both social and environmental? What what can we um what are we seeing in Greenland that is is going to be kind of extremes legacy there? So in Greenland we are working with the UNICEF to create an educational program for youngsters and, and to teach them about the impact of climate change. Um, as you know, in environmental awareness and education starts with the younger generation and just to, they are the building block of the future. They are the future. So that will be our legacy project there. It's been really fascinating to, to speak to you, Izzy, and thank you so much for, for taking the, the time today. We've got some really great uh, insight and all it's left for me to do now is just wish you very happy travels to Kangalusak. Um, all the best in your travels to Greenland and uh, and wish you all, all the best for the for the rest of the season wherever it goes. Thank you so much, Tristan, for your time. This is the three E's.
Some really great insight and stories there from Izzy Raquel, Extremis Impact Correspondent. I really enjoyed hearing about how the ship was uh, saved from the scrap heap and using upcycled and recycled materials and energy efficient lighting to to refit the refit the ship ahead of the Extreme E series. And also some of the continuous improvement aboard the ship to try and find constant greener practices even aboard the ship by looking at food waste and uh, and approaching that in in different ways was was really great to hear and finally i really enjoyed hearing about the um, additional educational work and uh, community engagement projects that extreme have been focusing on uh, while in places like saudi arabia and more recently in senegal can't wait to see what's coming up uh, in Greenland and uh, just keep an eye on uh, Izzy's socials, which I'll provide a link to in the in the show notes and, of course, Extreme's website to follow these important legacy projects and see what's coming up at future races. It just leaves me now to thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. Yeah.